0: Mindfulness Mode 393.
1: Life throws things at you until you stand up to it and say, no, that's not acceptable.
0: Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us again today. I wanted to share something with you for just a minute, my dad. Well, he just passed away on the weekend, so this week has been filled with soul searching and working through emotions. I, I have five brothers and two sisters, and I would say that we all knew my dad in, in very different ways. He was, he was a farmer by trade, and he had a passion for the written word, for theater, for music, and certainly for nature. He was an expert at reading the sky and predicting weather. He had a tender, sensitive, artistic side, which I related to. He loved the accordion more than anyone I knew. And after he retired, he asked me to teach him how to play it. So for two years, he came to my house for lessons. And I got to know him in a different way through that experience. After that, he used to play a lot in seniors homes and nursing homes just to entertain the residents. And that was a very important Very important thing for him he also kept a diary most of his life and encouraged me to do the same he read us stories a lot when we were kids and encouraged me to read and and be a reader he one time at a used bookstore I remember he encouraged me to get the book my friend Flicka it was later made into a movie and it was about a horse relationship between the person and a horse and well he loved horses. That was another one of his loves. Anyway, thanks for being a, a listening ear as I reminisce about my dad. And like, like any father-son relationships, of course, we had challenges at times. But nevertheless, he was my dad and, and I loved him. And So it's, it's been a challenging week. You know, I was just thinking, I would be honored if you would drop me a line this week telling me about your father and maybe about the mindfulness of your relationship with your father. Drop me a line, Bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. And I do reply to all emails. So send me an, an email, tell me about your father, and I will send out mindfulness mode t shirts to some of the people that respond. I am really curious about your mindful relationship with your father. Send it to Bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. That'll make my day. Thank you. Today I'm featuring on the show a friend I've met twice, both times in San Diego at Steve Olsher's New Media Summit. This man has impacted the world in terrific ways. His his mission is to empower 1,000 leaders over the next 10 years. He was also on the ground floor of a movement which has now built over 100 schools in Guatemala. And this is a very interesting story, which we get into in the interview. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview today with A.G. Morishita. A.G., are you in mindfulness mode today?
1: Yes, I've been preparing just for this podcast. That's great. So, just by knowing that I'll be on, I wanted to be more in a mindful state, uh, so I could, uh, so that we be we get a lot
0: covered today. Super. And I'm I'm so excited to have you on because I met you a long time ago and I've always wanted to have you on the show. And then you reached out to me yesterday and I'm like, yeah, come on the show. This would be great. So it's kind of quick and impromptu and I'm so glad you could make it today. So, A.G., uh, I'm going to read a bio about you in a minute, but before I do, tell us what mindfulness means to you. Well, I think mindfulness is uh, an intentional... Just the
1: intent to become consciously aware of just uh, the present moment, and to get out of autopilot—you know, the autopilot—and just not thinking. And so, it just really intentional. In just the intentional action of getting consciously aware of the present moment
0: well it's true i know there are many times i feel like i'm on autopilot especially when i look back like what did i accomplish today <laughs> you know and I, and I sometimes don't even remember driving to my studio because it's true we get onto autopilot sometimes but i do want to share about you ag morashita is the founder of the Movement Makers. And you'll find that at movementmakers.org. It's a mission to empower 1,000 leaders over the next 10 years to start a movement to impact millions of lives. His purpose is to ignite souls to step into their calling. So that's incredibly powerful. A.G. has been part of several movements, including the spread of the sushi movement in North America which is pretty fascinating, and building over 100 schools in Guatemala. He's currently creating, building, and advising dozens of movements throughout his community on the world's toughest issues. His clients and the Movement Makers community have been featured on the New York Times bestseller list, TED, and many more. He's a genius in creating practical and tactical solutions to create fun, easy, and profitable speaking, training, coaching businesses. So it's great to talk with you today, like I said, and you've done so much, you've got so many projects and, and I just love this, this thing where you're empowering 1,000 leaders over the next 10 years. Where are you in that journey? How many leaders do you feel you've already empowered?
1: Well, uh, so, we're over, we're about 10%, well, over the last 10 years, but right now, currently, we're working with about 40 40 right now, actively. And so, uh, what I expect is uh, that we'll get over the 100 mark this year, and then it'll pick up steam as well, uh, so that we can hit that 1,000 as well to empower the leaders, because uh, uh, when all is said and done, um, people look up to leaders. When the when problems or challenges or adversity arises, you know, unless one is in that leadership mindset, people are looking: who do we follow? Who's in charge? And and I think it's really important uh, to have not only just leaders step up, but ethical leaders, and leaders with integrity, and leaders who are not ego-based leaders but servant leaders who are looking for the good of the whole
0: so these leaders are mostly coaches for people in business is that true um they are in it's a
1: it's a mix of uh there's some uh like some of them are coaches um, others are business owners they're uh, uh, CEOs of high-tech companies who have technologies that can change uh, the planet in terms of uh, uh, s- some of the pieces regarding climate change or protecting the waters uh, so so we do have a couple we have like two segments we have one which is the grassroots movement where we work with a lot of speakers coaches and trainers and this is where we're educating a new paradigm so I help build them out and shift the Paradigm uh, through education, so and that's the grassroots movement. Then we have established companies who have products, services, or technologies that can really change the game and how things are done. Just like how SpaceX, SpaceX is not a client of mine, but you know how they change the game. and in, instead of having NASA pay hundreds of millions of dollars for these rockets or these shuttles and stuff, they do it for a fraction of the cost. So those are some of the companies that I, I advise. Um, um, and there are not a ton of them, but I, I'm selective of who I choose. And, and the ones that are projects that are seem most uh, exciting or interesting and impactful as well. So there's some interesting projects. One is, who well, I can't, some of it is, I wish I could share some of it is non-disclosure agreements right, sure. and things like that. But let me just share with you, there's some pieces that can help. Some of the technologies that we're working with can help with all the natural disasters oh, uh, really? that are happening. Um, around, you know, and, you know you're know you in Canada, yes. I'm in North America, there's more wildfires, more hurricanes, more earthquakes, more things going around the planet, so there's technology there. Another one is uh, regarding water, where a lot of the water is not living waters, like dead water, like where it's not living, like where from fresh from a mountain spring, you know, mm-hmm. natural spring water, only 1% of all waters are really alive and and. When we drink living water, then our body regenerates and starts living. There, it can sustain life. But if it's dead water, it just you know it, it's not as powerful. So there's some technologies or hmm. uh, and, and things available that will be coming out to, in the marketplace uh, that can actually uh, revitalize our water.
0: So does our water need to be filled with minerals in order to be living water? Does that what is that what that really means?
1: yes that's a big that's a big chunk that's a big chunk of it is uh the minerals and there's a a, uh like a crystallization like living things like you know the crystals grow and anything that's living you're either growing or you're dying right? right that paradigm and same with uh these crystals and so as long as the water is pure and clean and through the natural processes and stuff uh yeah so minerals is a key component because uh the purpose of water is to actually deliver minerals to our bodies. Okay.
0: Well, I, w- I want to ask you about leaders and mindfulness. And when you train leaders to be the best they can possibly be, what elements of mindfulness do you teach them?
1: Well, one of the key things uh, we teach them is we teach them a day, have a daily practice in terms of a morning ritual and an evening ritual as well, uh, is really consciously choose what thoughts that they put in their head. And so I believe the, uh, the brain is like a computer and we're actually the programmer. And that's a big shift first is there's an old yoga saying that the mind is a great servant, but a horrible master. Yes. And um, and that we are the once we become aware that we're the master of our minds, we can consciously choose to put in and um, pro- put in new thoughts into our mind, especially early in the morning and late at night when our subconscious is most open to it. That we can reprogram our mind and create new neural pathways. So this is where, in Think and Grow Rich, they call it autosuggestion. Yes. In um, their cybernetics where we can uh, reprogram our mind, so those are some exercises, as well as uh, as well as some visualization as well, so that they can visualize. And so it's it's almost like a self guided meditation uh, visualization of what, uh, and over time. Over time, this becomes permanently ingrained and unless and it can't be broken unless there's a significant emotional event that breaks it. So we highly recommend practice uh, because everything first gets created, you know, in our mind first and physically.
0: Well, I want to transition over to this topic of education. And I know in my bio, I read that you have helped to implement uh well, it says building over 100 schools in Guatemala. How did you get into that? And tell us about your passion for doing this.
1: Well, yeah, what was interesting is it was a project in, uh, that I was at the beginning of. And, um, and generally, uh, when people start their movements, and it's not like they have it all planned out from the get-go. Often, it, it just unfolds as it goes. So I was at a class project in San Diego, California. And one person shared, uh, and we were supposed to choose a class project for the group. Mm -hmm. And a person played this video on YouTube with a man with a sign that said, free hugs. And everyone got so inspired and and touched from that video that's like, oh, let's spread out hugs in San Diego. And so we all, it was a group of 40 of us. And we pulled together, one person designed the website, another person created a t-shirt, uh we were able to accept donations and then and then we and then another person brought in media so all within a a four-day event we were able to put up a website start getting donations have a custom song written for uh get uh give out hugs at mission beach san diego and get the news the news to show it on their local tv and we were blown away how much has happened and so uh the uh the the uh, the class was so excited that out of the event, 40, a core team, so it's like the 80, 20, a group of eight stayed along. And so let's bring this out to other places. So they went to Europe and then went to and then once they went to uh, Guatemala, they found the bigger picture because one of the core team members had a brilliant idea. It was really a crazy idea. And I believe genius is taking two seemingly unrelated things and making the connection. And so it's like really finding that peanut butter and chocolate combination. Normally it's like, you know, right now with Lisa's, it's like, of course, but before then no one would ever think of putting peanut butter and chocolate together. And so someone said they saw the streets littered in trash Uh and someone said, let's take these uh, plastic bottles and stuff trash inside these plastic bottles and build schools out of them. And they put chicken wire around it, and then and the first bottle school was created. So it solved two problems at one time: it solved the trash problem, uh, the unrecycled trash problem, and it built schools so for kids to uh, sleep, play, and study. So since then, this is um, since about uh, 2006, uh, over 100 schools have been built. And there's volunteerism trips. Uh, there's uh, so it's the Guatemala bottle school projects. Other countries have have followed suit and it's doing magic where something that's unrecyclable was recycled to a purposeful, you know, purposeful outcome.
0: Wow. That must be so exciting to know that you were, you know, way back there talking with that original group where this kind of evolved out of.
1: Oh, absolutely. And the lesson I got, the takeaway I got from that is uh, like, uh, you don't need to have the whole vision. You just need to follow that, that, intuition or that energy of just moving forward and the answers will be shown uh shown as you go just like martin luther king said you don't need to see the whole staircase you just need to see the next step and it was, you know a real life example that i have a personal experience with
0: oh very cool well i know you have some experience with sushi and your family bringing sushi to north america and i'd love to hear that story because i'm fascinated by that as well
1: yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, it's something I'm proud of. My great-grandparents came over to the U.S. early on in the 1920s, and they opened their first restaurant in 1929. So it was right around the Depression era. And then uh, during World War II, our family our family flew back to Japan to escape persecution. And, um, and then once the war was done, we came back in the 50s and reopened the restaurant. And in the 60s, We opened the, uh, we, along with, it was a collaboration. There was a manufacturing company and another family, and we brought the sushi bar concept to America. So in the 60s, it was mostly in the beginning, it was the innovators. It was mostly Japanese nationals and Japanese immigrants eating first. And then the 70s, we had some people who are non-Japanese start picking it up. And then in the 80s, uh, I was in junior high at the time, we opened We opened one of the first fast. I believe it's one of, uh, but probably most likely the first fast food sushi restaurant in Santa Monica, California, in a mall. I was waiting tables, kind of fast casual, before fast casual was delivered. And in the '80s, it just started. The popularity started growing where the invention of the California roll and these rolls came about. And the innovation was that uh, the American palate didn't like the bitter taste of seaweed. Mm So what happened with the rolls is that traditional sushi puts the rice inside the seaweed. Mm-hmm. Uh, California-style sushi is putting the rice on the outside so you don't taste the seaweed. Oh. And so if you look at California rolls, the rice is on the outside and the seaweed on the inside. And then that allowed it to be more... Palatable to the American palate, it became popular. The early adopters came in, so they're the ones in the '80s. Uh, there's a top show called Miami Vice, yeah. so they had those, you know, those white jackets and the neon T-shirts, and they came in. I was serving them as kids. We had served some celebrities, actors, and things like that. So they tend to be the more early adopters than the mainstream. And then it just became more and more popular. People started getting creative and saying, well, instead of crab, why don't we use tuna? Instead of this, why don't we use shrimp tempura or something like that, something cooked to allow people who who are afraid of eating anything raw to start eating that now. And so it started evolving, evolving. And now it's like, you know, sushi is served at Costco, served at 7 Eleven, served at, um, uh, um served at school so it was a big difference because when i grew up when i grew up i was made fun of and ridiculed for the type of food i brought in saying that's not food that's fish bait and right. was, and going on uh field trips all i wanted was a brown paper bag with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to fit in uh. so so but it's interesting now if you what i know is what's not if if you grow up, if you're growing up, or you're going through something that seems not cool, if you live long enough, it'll be cool at some point.
0: <laughs> That's very interesting, and uh, you know. So, are you connected in any way with the the sushi business now?
1: Well, I am still not specifically, in a sense. I mean, I do like sometimes advise on some of the marketing. I did work on growing the business uh, when I was working there over ten years ago. Uh, but right now my parents are retiring, so, uh, retiring. And so we're just setting it up for it, uh, for the, uh, the restaurant to change hands as well. So, so, but there is some pieces where I'm not directly involved, but I do handle anything that involves marketing or anything around that.
0: Well, I'm fascinated with what you're doing with movement makers and, I know that you've got quite a team working together to make this happen with, to empower 1000 leaders. Tell us about your team and how you make this happen and how you reach out to people and find people to help with this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have a great team of coaches and trainers as well. So we have several people on our team. Um, so I've, I've, our operations team—they handle the admin and administ- uh, admin and operations, the finance, the bookkeeping as well. So that's my that keeps the engine running. And then I have a team of coaches who coach our clients in terms of helping them uh, clarify their message, their vision, also um, help them with. the the monetizing of their business. So we teach them, uh, you know, how to sell, uh, how to, how to, how to generate income through selling. And, 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 uh, and also, also I have a trainer and uh, she is uh, she's also our creative director as well. And she's one of our star students where in um, she's a former creative director for speedo Australia. So uh, she's in charge of all our branding and our messaging. Mm -hmm. And we actually co-create our messaging together because messaging is one of my strengths as well. Um, but, uh, but also, she also runs our monetize your movement program because she was a star student in her first two years out. She is able to generate $200,000 in income in her first two years out coming from corporate, not having any entrepreneur or, uh, or business, exp- uh, you know, like a, a, a sales experience before so she she learned our system and now now guides and teaches our clients as well uh, while she also is growing her movement where well, her name's Tiffany Scott and she has a women's movement she built a community just in Los Angeles within like a short period in less than years she built it to over a thousand members women women entrepreneurs and women. Uh, women leaders. And now she's opening up chapters around the country and uh, around the country called sister suppers, where women get together, have supper together, mastermind, collaborate together. And that's a, that's a currently a national and will be a global movement moving forward of empowering women.
0: Wow. That is very cool. Who is your ideal client? If somebody came to you today, who would be the ideal person that you could assist with all this?
1: Yes. Well, uh, I believe it's, uh, it's more psychographic. So I think my ideal client is someone who has a desire to really make a positive impact in the world. Um, they also are action oriented. So, um, so my ideal client is someone who doesn't need, everyone needs to work on their inner game mm-hmm. at some level, mm-hmm. but they don't need like, uh, uh, like, an engine overhaul, if you will, from a mechanic perspective. What they need is they're already a they already performing. And they need fine tuning tweaks, like a quarter inch turn of screw, to make everything work well. Um, the the sweet spot. And we work with people who've never uh, generated any income in their business before, and help them get to a, a, a you know, five to ten thousand dollars a month, so that they can be in that profession. To the sweet spot is at least for me personally. We have different levels. Is someone who has a full practice someone who has a full practice and they're getting uh, they're on the verge of burnout because they, they can't, they haven't figured out a way how to increase their income and free up their time. So oftentimes they're ones who still charge on an hourly basis or by session basis and their book, they're working, you know, 40 hours, 50 hours a week or more. And their income is capped for, uh, for this type of individual, um, I can literally, with my eyes closed, help them double their income and reduce their workload from, you know, 40, 50 hours a week to 30 hours or even 25 hours a week. So that would be, and that's a small percentage. That's like maybe, I'd say out of the population of entrepreneurs, we're talking about maybe under 5%. But for the most part, psychographically, we look for people who want want to make a greater impact, want to be a better leader action-oriented, they're passionate about what they do, and they are willing to develop a, their skill set um, to be great at what they do, that they're driven by producing a quality program or service. So, uh, you know, though we can promote quality. Quality is They're quality conscious. That's really important for
0: us. Wow. That's exciting. And I know that I talk with people from time to time who would love to be coaches and they would love to put all their expertise together and make this happen to make the world a better place just like you are. And it sounds like you are the right person to connect and make that happen.
1: Yeah, especially if someone isn't sure uh, what their unique um, solution is that others would consider priceless. that I think that is one of my uh, gifts is to be able to find out based on one's experience, what is the area of expertise that the marketplace would value the most? And so because I believe one hour in our zone of genius outproduces 40 hours in our weakness. So one hour being, you know, in front of a stage outproduces 40 hours of me uh, doing technical work or admin work, you know. So it's really staying in that zone of genius and and, uh, really finding out what people value. So I'm in many different sectors and so I can understand like what people want.
0: Well, AG, I've worked in bullying prevention for quite a while, you know that. And I always like to talk to my guests about that and how mindfulness kind of intersects with bullying prevention. Do you have a story about bullying that you could share with us today on the show?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, I think English is my second language and I uh, grew up in the eighties and it was very nationalism was very high. But I, but I was bullied uh, mostly from fourth grade all the way through junior high. And, uh, and definitely I think mindfulness, what's interesting is this is I was bullied in, in yeah in uh, elementary school in and, and junior high. and then on Saturday school, which is Japanese school, I was a bully myself. So I was uh, both a bull, I was being bullied first, then was a bully. Uh, in uh, Japanese school, uh, so a couple things is from, from being bullied, I think mindfulness would have been really helpful for me to check into my emotions and process those emotions versus, you know, versus uh, repressing or suppressing it or, or just avoiding it completely. I think it would also give me a perspective of what's going on um, that I wouldn't be in reaction mode that I'd be able to respond as well. Um, I think mindfulness would have been very helpful. And I think it would allow me to, uh, to actually address my feelings, uh, instead of, instead of just, uh, ignoring them. So I think that's one, one key piece. Uh, and, uh, second as a bully and the, and, uh, no justification for it. Uh, my parents brought my myself, my younger brother, two years younger, my sister into Japanese school, Saturday school, late in, well, late in the game for me. So we we were all put in the same grade when uh, so when I was thirteen, the other kids were nine. Oh yeah. And so so in essence, like maybe I was physically bullying uh, the uh, younger kids but the younger kids were emotionally kind of bullying me saying, Hey, you must be, you're so much older. You're the same grade. You may not be smart. You know, you're the dumb one or right. so. So I, you know, and so the only way I knew how to act out was physically, you know, nothing major has happened, but you know, but there was intimidation or, you know, because I am bigger and stuff like that. But I think mindfulness would allowed would allowed me to just uh, understand and become aware, of the situation to handle my emotions better and also understand maybe some of the resentment I had to my parents for bringing me into school at, at three or four years later in the game and put me in a situation where it's not optimal for me to, uh, to make friends at, at a peer level.
0: Have you been able to let go of some of those feelings like that, that anger with your parents about bringing you into this tough situation?
1: Um, I never thought about this. Uh, I've let go of a lot of things with my parents. And I think, uh, you know, there's a process that I use to forgive, uh, forgive myself and forgive others.
0: Can you share that process with us?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a um, it's a process called Ho'oponopono. Yeah. And it's a huna. And and so just close my eyes and I see uh, the person on stage and I notice where the energetic ties are. And I just imagine like a laser or so or with my hands just cutting off the cords and then even pulling off any remaining from my chest, any remaining remnants of that bitterness or resentment or anger and and, and imagine just a white light of, uh, of love and compassion will just wash it away and it's clear. So energetically, I feel clear and I see them on stage and say, I forgive you. Please forgive me. I love you and hear them say back to me and I run this for my parents, for other people in my life. And then the most important person is to forgive myself at the end. So, because that's probably, you know, the um, almost always, if not always, you know, uh, the person I need to forgive the most is yes. this process.
0: Right. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. That's, yeah. that's great. Uh, A.G., as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30-second okay. answers are perfect. Okay. The first one is this. Sure. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life?
1: Mm, I, uh, I'd i say it would be Mahatma Gandhi and in his practices and just the
0: way he lives. Right. Absolutely. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, A.G.?
1: Oh, it's 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 mindfulness has been extremely helpful, especially when it comes to making decisions as well, Uh, based on what I know what works for me is when my emotions are at an even keel or so or settled. if it's not too high or too low, or just going up and down, um, you know, I there's an the old saying when emotions go up intelligence goes down so mindfulness helps settle the emotions and process emotions so i can make decisions from a place of peace and a uh, place of peace and place of joy
0: i like what you just said when emotions go up intelligence goes down that's worth repeating and there yeah that is an old saying tell us how breathing has been a part of your mindfulness practice
1: yeah, that's been that's been very very powerful uh, because I mean the things that I use for mindfulness, you know, breath work is important. Uh, just just stopping and just and paying attention to my breath. So there's several different types of you know I just taking deep breaths in through my nose and out through my mouth, but holding you know. So I do various like you know I do like one four two counts or four 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 counts, and it depends on the day. But the breath work afterwards, my body feels energized, my mind feels clearer, and it really helps with uh, with uh, just, uh, just, it's almost like taking a suit or emotional baggage off my plate. Uh, but also the other ways that I, uh, you know, the other ways is by walking or running or so is my form of meditation as well.
0: Great. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what book would that be?
1: Yes. Well, it's not a specific mindfulness book, like a how-to, but a book I would recommend of the benefits of mindfulness or uh, is what I, well, it's a book that I I love is it's by Michael Singer called The Surrender Experiment. And it's a great book on the art of surrender and being present the moment and, and, you know, paying attention to what the universe asks or calls you to do. And and he's a real life example of how he's gone through. uh, He's been requested to do things uh, that he he all he wanted to do was be a yogi and meditate all day, but the universe called him to start a construction company, start a software company, and then when and then uh, having some challenges with the uh, and getting you know getting violently opposed by the government trying to take him down, but seeing the other side of it you know, when you face, you know, it, sh- it really shows the example of what mindfulness practices can do and how you can stay the course. So I, what I love about it most is it's a true story. You know, that's what I love about like movies based on truth and true stories. And it gives us a real life model that we can do regardless of what challenges or obstacles we
0: yeah, I love that book too. I just love yeah. it. I'll put all of this in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And of course, we're talking about movementmakers.org. So if you, uh, if you forgot, that is how you contact uh, this organization that AG is part of. Now, my last question is, can you share an app which can help with mindfulness?
1: Well, there's, uh, I, yeah, I don't use it that often, but there's an app called calm, yes. you know, where it's, it's a very simple app, um, to, uh, to just to practice with the breathing exercises as well. So I like calm, uh, just, um, um, just to support there's a, there's, there's a, a different app, which is not specifically mindfulness, but it's called Pzz P Z I Z Z. And this is a great app to take naps and as binaural beats. So if you want that energetic reset of your mind or so, I think naps are very powerful. I mean, in European culture, siestas and afternoon naps are part of the daily piece. And I don't don't think we're supposed to be awake for 16, 20 hours straight. I think having that little break in between, and meditation and mindfulness does, it's almost like a nap and, and, and resets as well. But that's a great app. I think if you'd like to take a 10 or 20 minute power nap, or so reset for your day. And and when I do that, like if I take one between like one or two o'clock, then I have enough energy for another full eight hour day.
0: Oh, that's great. Uh, Yeah, that that sounds like a a terrific app. I have not heard of it before. So I'm looking forward to trying it. I like those apps with the binaural beats. I think they're really, really interesting what it can do to your brain, for sure. Yep. (laughs)
1: Yeah. yeah. One thing about bullying I forgot to mention is I think life can sometimes act like a bully. And, and so life throws things at you until you stand up to it and say, no, that's not acceptable. Like we kind of get recurring patterns of certain situations showing up in our life until they say, no, not anymore. I'm not going to accept that because uh, we don't get what we expect, but we'll always get what we'll accept. So when we increase our standards or uh, raise our standards of what's acceptable to us, I think life kind of, and it's not, I think it's not to harm, but it's really to guide us in, 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 in our development and growth.
0: Right. I really like that, what you added there. And I'm glad you did add it because it's true. Life can truly be a bully to us and we can bully ourselves and we we have to stand up to it. So thanks for mentioning that. Now, um, as we uh, move toward the end, I want to make sure everybody can contact you through movementmakers.org. And of course, you're on social media, uh, Movement Makers, almost everywhere. Is there anywhere else or any other way we can connect? with you
1: well i think those are the best ways is uh on instagram it's at real movement makers and then on facebook is really good uh and i know my name is tough uh to to spell but if you just look up e-i-j-i and the morishida friend me on facebook or follow my page
0: oh yeah e-i-j-i morishida.com and morishida is m-o-r-i-s-h ITA
1: but on the movementmakers.org uh, the best way is there's a link to download our Raymaking 101 checklist and that's way you, you could uh, get uh, email communications through us and ways to connect with us as well. And so those are some pieces. So if you feel like you have this calling or movement is inside you, even if you don't know what it is, I'd love to stay in contact and, and support you in your journey.
0: And before I hit record, I know you said that you had a free gift, which is at movementmakers.org forward slash gift, right? Yes.
1: Yes. Yes absolutely so there you could get the checklist and we have a series of emails welcoming to share what movement makers is about and some resources and 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 guiding you along the journey so you'll hear from us you know you'll hear from us on a consistent basis as well Um, and uh, and that's a great way to and you can reply back to any of those emails and my team or myself will be able to see your replies there too so it's a No, we check our emails and things like that.
0: That's awesome. Well, AG, thanks so much for being here. And uh, I can't wait for all of my listeners to hear this episode. It's going to be exciting.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's an honor and I'm grateful to be here.
0: Thanks. Bye now. This sleep naturally guided meditation that I have for you just for Mindful Tribe members. It's to help you receive the deep, easy sleep that you deserve. Sleep naturally and you'll be able to fall asleep easily, get more work done tomorrow and feel better about it. Rest comfortably without effort. Go to mindfulnessmode.com